Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. It's no secret, there's a huge connection between our mental health and our finances. And sometimes if you find yourself consistently overspending or hoarding money or feeling an extreme amount of stress and anxiety when you think about money, there's a huge connection between mental health. Usually that means there's something deeper going on in our lives. Now, that was one of the common themes that I got from today's conversation with Chloe Daniels from Clobear. Chloe, if you have not came across her fun TikTok videos or Instagram content, she's a money coach at Clobear. And as a money coach, she focuses on education and helps people really get the basics of personal finance and investing. She aims to deliver her content in a goofy, fun, and very approachable way, and has definitely been known to be a twerking teacher from time to time. If you haven't seen her Instagram, you gotta go check it out. You'll get a kick out of it, and you'll actually learn something really cool too. We cover a lot of ground in this episode. We talk about Chloe's experience being $80,000 in debt for a degree she didn't even want. I think we can all relate to that in some way or know somebody that can relate to that for sure. We talk about how mental health impacted her with money, tips for finding a great therapist. So if that's something that you feel like you need, we talk a little bit about how to find a good therapist, a little bit about the finances behind finding a therapist. We talk about three types of therapy. This was really interesting to me and a little bit about each of these different types and how you might identify which type is right for you and your situation. One of my favorite parts of this conversation is Chloe really has a different way of viewing mindfulness. I don't want to spoil it, so make sure you tune into that piece. It's really interesting and it even helped me reframe the way I view mindfulness in my own life. We dive into how Chloe prepared for transitioning into her business full-time. So this was something that for a lot of entrepreneurs and people that are moving into that, that newer area of their life, it's really emotionally difficult. When people say that business is tough, business is actually tough because of the emotions and that whole side of it. So I really appreciated her insights there and how she's managing her own self-care today and preventing burnout. And then, of course, we have a fun conversation about boundaries as a financial coach. Chloe and I share a little bit about some of the dumb crap we did as financial coaches and setting boundaries and how that has evolved in our own lives. And I think it's really helpful. If you're a financial coach, I hope you listen in. That's towards the end of the episode. We will definitely share a couple tips and hopefully 
give you a different perspective. This is such a great episode. I know you're going to get some nugget of wisdom from this, but do me the biggest favor and take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. And let me know that you're listening in and bonus points if you tag Chloe. I know it's always so fun for guests to see who's listening in as well. And just feeling like you are appreciating the content. It's really, really awesome to see that. All right. With that being said, I'm going to go ahead and turn the mic over to Chloe Daniels. All right. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode. I am super excited to be joined by Chloe Bear, Miss Chloe herself. Thank you so much for hanging out. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you today. I met you initially at FinCon and we had way too much fun, but (laughs) you have (laughs) such a cool energy. I just, I love how you bring that same fun energy into personal finance. I just want to congratulate you for that because that is not an easy thing to do. Uh, Thank you. I really enjoy being the person that people don't expect when we think about finance creators. That that you are, my friend. So how did you get into finance to begin with? Like, what was your journey into becoming passionate about money? Yeah, so it's been a long journey. I uh, actually started Clobear.com, which is my blog, um, as a mental health and relationships blog. So I had been struggling with things like depression and anxiety and actually undiagnosed PTSD for a while. And when I moved from China to Chicago, I had decided like, okay, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to do this corporate thing. I'm going to work a job. I'm going to do the normal thing. And while I was in that transition phase, I started to really deal with a lot of, you know, what is my purpose? Was this really what the rest of my life is going to be like? And while I had lived abroad in China, I was teaching English over there for a couple of years. I had had a blog. It was like Chloe does China. It was super corny, but I loved doing it. And so when I came to Chicago, I was like, you know, I don't really see myself doing Chloe does Chicago, but I really wanted to write again. And so I decided to start writing about the things that I was dealing with at the time. And that was issues with my mental health and finding happiness, finding purpose and things like that. And so it kind of correlated with what was also going on in my life at the time. I had started going to therapy around the same time that I started Clobear. And that's why the name is Clobear is I was just really being very bare about my struggles and about the things that I was doing to try and really find that happiness and find that peace within myself. And so that was in 2017 when I started that and did that for two years. And as I did this, it was this wonderful community that helped me keep me accountable for my own growth. And so because of that, I was able to grow pretty quickly. And a lot of my issues with, you know, my mental health, uh, they really quickly resolved because of all of the work that I was doing. And so in the end of 2018, I was finally like, you know, I've really gotten better at some of these things. Now I really can't ignore the fact that I'm still really bad with money because being bad with money really impacted everything. It impacted my mental health. It impacted my relationships and impacted me feeling like I was trapped. And so I started just by doing it in the same way that I did with my mental health is I just wrote about it. And so I started 
literally putting up on my blog everything that I spent my money on. I literally just shared my my budget and I'd go through it at the end of the month, talk about what went well, talk about what didn't go well. And I'd also share any kind of thing that I had learned along the way, because of course, when you get started and you know nothing, everything is new over and over again. And that kind of just made me kind of just fall into the personal finance rabbit hole. And from there, it's just been this constant growth and obsession of like, Ooh, now I want to learn about this. So it's like, I started with wanting to be debt-free. Then I wanted to learn about investing. Then I'm now I'm obsessed with building wealth and all of those things. And so I didn't actually become Chloe Bear money coach until March of this year. Uh, And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to focus on. I don't necessarily focus just on mental health anymore. Of course, it comes into play in the content that I create. But for the most part, I I focus on educating people in a fun way uh, that hopefully most people haven't seen before. (laughs) That they haven't. I can attest to that. I think it's (laughs) really cool too that you were sharing your actual numbers. I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people are very hesitant over that. Did you ever experience any of that hesitation or was it always like, here I am? No, I was so used to being so transparent about everything that, and my numbers in the beginning were so bad. It was just kind of like, yeah, here are my horrible numbers. I'm going to be really honest about this because this is my truth right now. Now, what gets interesting is now I'm in a multi six-figure net worth. And as I move into that stage, it's like, well, at what point do I stop sharing? At what point does it stop being helpful and it turns into like bragging or, you know, whatever. And I still haven't really figured out, like, I think I'm going to continue to share that because I do think it's important because so many people are afraid of that, but I also want to be transparent and inspiring. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think what I've heard from people when I do share those real numbers is that, you know, you see so much online where it's like, I'm a multimillionaire and it only happened, it only took me two years. And they're like, yeah. well, I'm not going to do that, but I can maybe be like Bear. And I'm like, oh, that makes me so happy. That's exactly what <laughs> I you. want. It is achievable. I'm like, thank you. Yes. I'm an achievable level of <laughs> uh, wealth building. At least I'm at that stage right now. Which is so interesting. I, I didn't expect this to get brought up, but this is something that I think a lot of people have struggled with in personal finances. There's usually some hesitancy around the shame of having a bunch of debt, but we get over that pretty quickly. But when we start to accumulate wealth, for some reason, that triggers a different side of our mindset where we're like, oh, do I need to like slow down and not talk about this now? Even though it's still you and it's like, here's your backlog of all the crap you had to do to get there. Right. But for some reason that still comes up. I think that's very interesting. And it is interesting because it's definitely one of those things where you know, especially now that I have moved into the business of the way that I make money is by teaching people about personal finance. So to me, I see both sides of like, I should continue to be uh, completely transparent about my net worth. But then the other side of the things too, is like, well, I'm making my money off of selling people products, you know, and granted they are products that are specifically focused on helping people learn. So like, it's not, that's not to say that that's a bad thing or anything like that, but it's like, you know, what is the line and what do people care about and what do people want to know? And so honestly, the way I figure it out is I just keep polling people and say like, do you even want to hear these updates? Do you, do you feel bad about yourself when I share these updates? Do you feel good about it? Is it inspiring? Is it annoying? You know, cause the only way I'm going to find out what the best move for my audience is, is by asking them. And so I think for me, I don't really mind sharing it from my own transparency, but I never want somebody to look at me and feel bad. You know, like, I don't want anybody to think that it, like, if they're a new follower, they're coming to me now and they're like, wow, look at her net worth. 
you know, I am never going to get to that. I don't want people to get to that stage. So I think it's going to be a learning experience. I don't know if it's something that I'm going to keep doing or not. I kind of think just based off of who I am, I probably will. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll see what my audience wants. I think that's a good answer too, right? It's like at the end of the day, we're here to serve. And so if it's helpful, cool. And if people are not finding it helpful anymore, then all right, back to the drawing board. (laughs) Exactly. And all I can do is ask, be like, do you want to keep seeing this? If the answer is no, then I won't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Totally. I like the simplicity behind that too. I'm curious when you were paying off debt, how much debt did you have? What was the debt? And what was your strategy for paying it off? Yeah. So when I started my journey, it was 2018, the end of 2018. And that was when I was like, oh, I have almost $70,000 in debt. Um, I had more than that. I couldn't tell you what my original debt amount was because I literally just never paid attention to it. I want to say it was closer to 80 or 90,000. Um, but it was never in the six figures. That's the only thing I do know. Um, but when I started this journey and I was like, okay, time for me to time for me to do it. It was $70,000 in debt. Uh, 10,000 was from a car payment. The rest was student loans. Um, what I started is I literally just took time to write everything down, everything that I spent my money on. I wrote it down in this tiny little notebook because I didn't know what else to do. And at the end of two weeks, I went through and I categorized everything. So I like started color coding things. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm spending $600 every two weeks on eating out, drinking, and like basically being hungover and like like partying. (laughs) And that was such a shocker to me because if you had asked me at the time, what's important to you? Like, what do you care about? I certainly wouldn't have told you eating out and drinking. What I would have told you is travel, but I wasn't doing a lot of traveling because I was spending all of my money on these things. And so it was a really big eye opener for me of like, oh, you have money. You're just not spending it on the things that you want to be spending it on. And like, all you need to do is start directing it and putting the tracks down for the train to go somewhere instead of for it to just go all over the place. So again, I had, I didn't have any like certain method that I was practicing. I literally went on to Google Google Sheets and found a budget template. And I use, I still use the Google Sheets budget template to this day. And I started a zero-based budget. I didn't know it was a zero-based budget at that time. I was just like, okay, cool. I'm starting a budget. And what I did, it was like, well, the way that it makes the most sense is for me to budget based off of when I get paid. So I immediately started a bi-weekly budget and I just, I've been doing that ever since. So my I ran the numbers. I like looked at my salary. I looked at all of my basic expenses. I looked at what I had been spending on like the discretionary categories of like eating out, entertainment, groceries, things like that. And I was like, okay, what is reasonable? So I cut out, you know, that $600. I was like, I think $150 is reasonable. Let's go through each one of those things and decide. And then at the end, I was like, wow, if I stick to this budget, I could put almost $2,000 a month on my debt. And so that that became my goal is just, I need to put $2,000 on my debt every single month. And that's what I did for two years. And like I said, two years, I was very focused on paying off debt. And then after two years, I was like, why am I so focused on paying off this debt? It's only at a 3.54% interest rate. And so that's when I really started focusing on wealth building instead. I love that. Okay. So then you were making all this progress towards your debt. And I know for so many people, debt brings up all of the, oh, I wish I did this different. I could have did this. Like, why did I do this? This was so dumb. We have all of these narratives. Did that come up for you too? 
Not really. I think, um, you know, I definitely felt some regret about my college degree. Uh, sure. You know, I see people now who have $30,000 of credit card or of, of college debt. And I'm like, man, why didn't I try to do something cheaper? Like, it's not like my schooling was worth $80,000, not even remotely close. Sure. But I was so hung up on this idea that I needed to go. I originally wanted to be a writer. And so I was like, I got to go to the University of Iowa. They've got the best writing program in the Midwest and I'm going to do it. Didn't even get into the writing program. So it was like, I went there for this whole purpose of getting into this writer's program. And that actually ended up setting me off into like this very long timeline of depression and feeling like this is my whole purpose is the whole reason I went here. Now I'm $80,000 in debt for a degree that I don't even want anymore. And so I ended up graduating early because I didn't get into the program. And I was like, well, screw it. I'm leaving this place. Let me get out of here as soon as possible. Um, and I am glad I did that. But you know, there was definitely that shame and just kind of like this anger, really, that I had spent all of this money for a degree that I didn't find any value in. Had I known what I know now, I would have gone, I know now that I'm a doer. I am not like a thinker. I'm not like somebody who likes pondering like you do in English classes and in literature classes. I don't actually like doing that stuff at all. I like thinking about how can I solve a problem? What's something that I can like do? What's something I can create? And I didn't know that about myself at that time. So like, if I could go back now, I'd do something completely different. But at the time I had no idea. And so I just had all this like early 20 year old angst of like, I've ruined my life with this 80, <laughs> at 21. At to, I try, we're laughing, but it was so true. I was uh-huh, so sure. melodramatic. I fully believed at the age of 21, I had ruined my life. And I was like, you are going to be stuck with this $80,000. You're not going to be able to teach English in Spain or teach English in China or teach English anywhere that you want because you have all this debt that now you have to learn how to pay off. Luckily, obviously none of that happened and I was able to figure it out, but uh, there's definitely that moment of, Oh, what have I done? But you know, we, most of us, when we're 18 years old, we're making the best decision we can with the information we have at the time. But a lot of us can't say we want the same things we wanted when we were 18 years old. (laughs) Heck no, heck no. I, I think it's like, especially with, with student education stuff too, it's always so interesting because we, we put so much pressure on these 18 year olds were like, Hey, here's your driver's license at 16. You're barely driving. Now go figure yeah. out your life and take out thousands of dollars. No pressure, no pressure, no big deal. And like, that was the thing. And like my, it, it just all turned into anger for me because I think I had this level of entitlement from, you know, always being like a high performer, always being the best at what I did. And then going into this huge big 10 school, realizing I'm this small fish in this very big pond. And like, that was a huge ego check to me of like, Oh, I'm not as cool and great and wonderful and amazing as I thought I was Damn at 18. It. Dang it. Like what the hell? And then I felt like I was entitled to that writing program. I was entitled to doing better and getting better grades and doing all of these things instead of thinking, okay, what is the solution here? Because I was so young, so dumb, didn't have the ability to look inward and really problem solve for myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a wild system that we basically set people up to go into insane amounts of debts for something we tell them they need to have. And then whether or not they actually use it, whether or not it's actually beneficial, it doesn't really matter because all of your jobs are going to require you have a degree anyway. And then we judge them harshly. 
for for choosing the wrong degree or being <laughs> underemployed. Oh, I love when I post about like how you know our student loan debt, and everybody's like, "No one made you get your student loans." It's like uh, I was eighteen. <laughs> Where's your empathy? Like, what yeah, the heck? Oh my gosh! And when people are like, "Oh, we shouldn't forgive student loans," I'm like, I have my student loans almost paid off, and they're also private. I am still very pro forgiving student loans. Like, I don't understand why we live in a world where we're punishing people for wanting to improve themselves. It's pretty interesting, right? Like, like we could definitely pontificate on that probably Forever. all day because it is, I don't have a clear solution for that either. Mm-hmm. And I know it is such a problem. The part I really want to dive into is you mentioned you had a couple year period of depression. Are mm-hmm. you open to sharing a little bit more about that time in your life? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went, there's a couple of periods in my life where depression and anxiety were very present for me. The worst was when I was in college. It was right after I didn't get into the writing program and I had just kind of completely lost my purpose. I was like, wow, everything I was, I've always been told I was going to do. I've always believed I was going to do, believed it was going to come easy to me. It's completely, it's a lie. It's a lie. And I have to like put in this hard work. (laughs) And so it really devastated me. And it got me to a place where my self-esteem just completely dropped out. I really had a hard time getting out of bed. I, they couldn't figure out, you know, my medication structure or anything like that. So I was just depressed and tired and hungry all of the time. So it was just like, I was barely able to function. And my depression was so bad that not only was it hard for me to get out of bed at all, but I was constantly searching for just temp any, any kind of relief I could get. Mm -hmm. And that came with spending. So for me, spending was a really huge part of my maladaptive coping mechanisms because it was such an easy win, even though I didn't have any money. Um, so, you know, I had taken out more loans than I needed in order to like fund my lifestyle, which is a whole other thing. Um, but I had had, like, I remember $2,000 to my name where I was able to, like, that was supposed to help me live throughout the rest of the year. And I ended up blowing that in like two months on nothing, absolutely nothing. It was like drinking out, eating out. And then I did get adopt a dog, bought like a thousand dollars worth. I'm not even joking. A thousand dollars worth of treats and toys and like all these gadgets and stuff. And I was like, I'm going to be a great dog mom. Not even thinking about the fact that I couldn't get out of bed. Like I couldn't even take care of myself. And so after having this dog for, I want to say maybe a week or two, I was like, I am ill-equipped for this and this dog deserves better. And so I found the dog, another home and like, was like, here's a thousand dollars worth of product for your dog. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Here, happy. And I, you know, I didn't feel right charging anything for them taking him. You know, I was a dumb college kid. And then after that, I then adopted a bunny. So it was just like, I still didn't learn my lesson. I still like, <laughs> Went and like tried to find an animal, but this one was a much more lower maintenance, but then it's just like, it didn't improve my depression. And I just kept spending on things that I thought would give me temporary relief, but it would make me feel more anxious at the end because I didn't know how I was going to pay rent. I wasn't, I was also very proud. So I was never going to ask my parents for help and I never did. And so I would get to the point where I was so concerned that I wasn't going to be able to pay rent. I would take on, you know, extra shifts. I would work my butt off 
and like have no time to do any of my classwork, have no time to do anything else. So college for me in my early twenties was really, really a rough time just because I really just couldn't get my head around all of these different things. It just, everything felt so overwhelming. Um, and really my, my depression and anxiety didn't start to improve until I got out when I was like, okay, mm. I'm in a safe environment. I moved back in with my parents cause it was right in the middle of the recession. Good for you. I moved back in with them. And it was like, that is what I needed. I needed this like stabilizing force. And I just got a job at a crappy ATM company where I was working a crappy job. Job, making $14 an hour. And I had to really rebuild myself and rebuild my confidence just by doing those simple things of like taking care of myself, of like sleeping a normal schedule, eating regularly healthy meals, not, you know, relying on all of these outside forces to make me feel better. So that was the big one. And that was when I struggled the most with money. Um, and then, you know, like I said, I was slowly able to get to the point where I then entered my hoarding all of my money stage. Mm. So it was like, then enter into that period of, I still don't know how to manage my money, but I'm so afraid of going back to that place that I'm just going to hoard all of it. And that is what I did in preparation for moving to China. And so I hoarded all this money, got to China, was terrified of spending it, was like, oh my gosh, if I let this get out of control, I'm going to end up in the same scenario, not going to be able to go home because I'm not going to have the money to fly back. And so instead of like enjoying the experience of living in China, I let that anxiety kind of mar a lot of my experience there because I was constantly worried about money, even though I had no reason to be. I had tons of money and savings. I just had no idea how to handle it. And so that was kind of that phase. And then fast forward to, you know, the 2017 era of me getting my money together and getting my life together. Um, when I started going to therapy and things like that, prior to that money was just a huge stressor. I never knew how to keep it. I was living paycheck to paycheck despite, you know, making $70,000 a year and being a single woman in Chicago, which is plenty of money to live off of. I just couldn't figure it out. And, and it was, um, that, ended up causing me anxiety and, and, and things like that. Whereas the, the, the money and mental health, like it works both ways. So it's like when my mental health was really bad in college, it impacted my spending obviously. And then vice versa, when my mental health was not, or when my mental health was better, but my spending was still out of control, it impacted my mental health because I was anxious and worried all of the time. So it was just, it took a really long time for me to finally figure it out, but it started with me getting the therapy that I needed and honestly finding the right therapist. That's half of the battle. Ooh, talk to us about that. That's a tough one. Gosh, there's so many different types of therapy out therapists out there. And if you don't find the one that is focused on the things that you need help with, and also focused on the type of therapy that you're ready to receive, it's not going to like, it's not going to work. So for me, for years, when I, and I, I've struggled with depression and anxiety, like most of my life. So like in high school, I was doing a talk therapist and a psychologist. So psychologists are talk therapy. And then I also had a psychiatrist who are focused on providing you with medication. That was their go-to for a 16-year-old. Let's just medicate her. They didn't want to provide me with any tools or anything like that. And being 16 years old, I didn't know there were other options out there. Sure. Why would you? Exactly. So then when I got into college, I was 
frustrated with my experience with therapy in in high school because I hadn't learned how to manage any of this. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, in college, when the depression hit really hard, I was like, all right, I think I want to learn skills. So the first thing I did is I went to, you know how they offer free therapy at colleges? Yeah. I showed up, I explained to them everything that I was going through and what I needed. And they're like, we're really focused on like solvable problems. <laughs> You're a lost cause. Get out of here. <laughs> we're we're really not going to be a good fit. Like we're here for like when you have disputes with your roommate. And I was like, I was like, so I don't qualify for free therapy. (laughs) What a letdown though. Oh, it was, it was luckily I still had my sense of humor in place because I just thought it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm too depressed that I don't qualify for three free therapy. That really, is it free when you're paying $80,000 to be there? I don't know. (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) True. Um, They referred me then to basically their, their psychology school had grad students doing studies. And so they're like, if you go be a therapist, you know, guinea pig, you can get it for very cheap. And so I ended up doing CBT therapy, which is cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is fantastic. However, at that point in my life, I was so depressed. I wasn't willing to do the work that you need to do with CBT therapy, because with CBT therapy, it's all about, you know, taking action, doing homework, doing these practices that help you become more mindful. They help you manage your, your emotions, your, all of those things a little bit more in your behaviors. But I was so depressed. I couldn't even get myself to do that. So that was, even though that was probably the better type of therapy for me, had I been 16 years old still and, and wanted to learn those skills, it, I probably needed talk therapy because I just needed somebody who would help me get out of bed every day. Like, no, I have to talk to this person. And like, I needed that empathy. Whereas CBT is very different. It's very focused on like those skill building. So that didn't help me either. Then by the time I got to, you know, I then took a break from therapy for several years, didn't come back until I was um, back from China and was dealing with undiagnosed PTSD from something that had happened to me in China. And that's when I was like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to play around with my therapist. I'm going to make sure I'm going to try out a couple. I'm going to see what one is the right one for me. And I ended up going with a therapist who specialized in CBT and EMDR therapy. Hmm. EMDR therapy is if anybody out there is struggling with PTSD, EMDR therapy is the therapy for PTSD. I had no idea I had PTSD at the time. I just got so lucky because I specifically picked a therapist who focused on eating disorders. She also focused on PTSD. I skipped right on over that because I was like, oh, I don't have any problems with PTSD. I was like, eating disorders, got it, let me do this. And turns out she was able to uncover like, oh my gosh, you've got some trauma we need to work through. So I benefited by, by, by chance. I had no idea what I was. I I just knew I wanted to focus on somebody who specialized in what I needed. Good leader knows their limits. They know how to delegate. They know where they're needed. They know when they're needed. When it comes to hiring, Indeed can be a founder's right-hand man. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible, because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire all at Indeed. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process, so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like 
Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. I personally love the assessments feature. Assessments make the interview process smoother for everyone. Talent doesn't need to prove themselves again, and you can dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash money nerds. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash money nerds. Indeed.com slash money nerds, plural. This offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So did that, then graduated. That took probably about a year where, you know, we were really working through that, that very intense therapy. Then later on in life, like for the last couple of years, I've been doing great. I really haven't struggled with any, any mental health issues other than like daily stress of that everybody deals with. Um, And so uh, during the pandemic, I was starting to feel a little bit like, man, I could be happier. You know, like there's probably something here that's holding me back. So then I specifically sought out a skill-based therapist who specialized in DBT. There's all these different therapies. And it's like, until you've been in the space, you don't really know which one does what, or you just think they're all going to talk to you. DBT is dialectal behavior therapy, and that is very focused on changing the pathways in your brain to kind of rearrange how you think about things and your go-to behaviors and things like that. And so that really helped me out in terms of just like the basics, like how to manage stress on a day-to-day basis and things Mm. like that. So it was quite a journey and I learned probably something from everyone, but the ones that helped me out most were the P- the EMDR therapy and the DBT therapy. But uh, again, it just, you have to really know what it is you need, because if you end up going to the therapist that doesn't offer what you actually need, you're not going to get the help that you need. Um, right. And so unfortunately there's just, there's so many barriers in getting the help you need in mental health that that's just another one. Yeah. Like there's the, the financial cost of, does my yeah. insurance cover this? Does it not? Right. Then there's the ultimate, like which therapist, what type of therapy do I need? How do you, have you found any good resources that help people identify what type of therapy they need? Um, psychology today has, I believe a couple of different questionnaires that'll help you. Uh, like if you put in your symptoms and you put in like, like what you're dealing with, they'll help you identify what kind of therapy might be the best for you. So psychology today is a great resource. And um, there's also just the American psychological association. These have also got a lot of, um, a lot of quizzes and resources and things like that to help you determine. Those are probably the two main ones. And what's nice about psychology today is that they have, if you look up any therapist and you, they're usually on psychology today and they'll tell you all the things they specialize in. So not only will they, you know, if you don't know if doing a quiz is too much for you and you don't want to like focus on what type of therapy The other option is focus on the issue that you want help with. Mm -hmm. Don't just pick anybody, pick somebody who says in their bio, they focus on these things. So if it's relationships, pick somebody who focuses on relationships. If it's depression, pick somebody who focuses on those because they're going to have specialized skills that are going to help you specifically with that thing. How do you, how do you marry the specialty versus your finances or your insurance? Do you have any tips there? That's a tough one because, uh, you know, I was lucky in that I had insurance for all of this. 
Um, one of the things I would say is if you don't have insurance or if you're running into an issue where it's too expensive to do it the old fashioned way, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of really fantastic, uh, online services now that provide you with therapy for a much more affordable price, especially if you don't have, um, insurance. So like better help talk space, those are two really great resources where they make therapy way more affordable and they still connect you to those specialties and they have great like surveys and things like that to figure out, okay, which one of these is going to be the best option for you. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Those are good mm-hmm. resources. I'll be sure to link those up in show notes too. So mm-hmm. as you're going through this journey and you're starting to uncover that maybe a lot of your financial habits or there are things that you weren't super excited about the spending, the binge drinking, like whatever the heck it might be, you're starting to uncover this. Did you find that, I think a lot of people struggle with this. They're like, is this actually me just being bad habits or is this actually something deeper? How did you start to uncover that? Maybe it was something deeper for you. Oh, that one is the, I think the reason I knew it was deeper is because it was always around. It wasn't something that I, it wasn't new. I had struggled with clinical depression from the time I was 12 So it was, and that was the same time that my eating disorder started. So like, it wasn't a surprise to me when they showed up, um, in other ways. So like, you know, people who struggle with mental health issues often do also struggle with substance abuse. And so for me, it was just kind of like, oh yeah, of course you're here. Welcome. Like, this is, this is, this makes sense. This is what I'm supposed to be doing right now because it just, it was like comfortable to me at that point. It was, Mm -hmm. I was so used to always feeling bad that it was no surprise to me that I was also struggling in college or, you know, later on in life. But in terms of like how to tell if it's a deeper issue than just a bad behavior, I think that specifically with like spending and in really even in drinking or any other, like whether it's drinking or food or um, spending, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to feel a different way? Because if you're doing it to feel a different way, that's probably a very big indicator that something else is going on. If you're doing this because it's something you value, it's something you've been thinking about for a while. It's something that you really, truly want. That's different. But if you're doing this because you think it's going to change who you are, you think it's going to be the thing that changes your life around, or you think it's going to be, you know, it's going to somehow change you or change how you're feeling. That is probably a sign that that's not actually what you need. And like, I think that's such a, you know, throughout the many years of my life, A perfect example is my go-to for dealing with stress has always been to drink something or eat something. Mm -hmm. And like, it was just always my go-to. And it wasn't even until this year that I realized that. And I was like, wow, I don't have any actual real coping mechanisms for how to actually deal with stress. My go-to is go take something that'll make you feel different. Like rather than figure out how to process it, figure out how to feel it, figure out how to be comfortable with it. So it takes a lot of self-awareness to recognize the reason I'm doing this because I don't want to feel the way I feel right now. And like to take that second and pause, which that's why the pause is so important. So like for people who are struggling with their spending specifically for emotional spending or whatever, the biggest thing you can do is create distance in time between when you put that thing in the cart and when you purchase it. What I tell people is like, even if it's just an hour set, like put it in the cart, 
set the timer for an hour. And then I want you to have a list of things that you can do to make you feel better that are not related to shopping, drinking, or eating or smoking or whatever. And like that list could be as simple as like, for me, it's like dancing around my apartment ridiculously or cleaning or taking Logan for a walk or all of these things, like make a list of just these, a a ton of different things. Do one of those things in during that hour. And then if you still want to buy that thing at the end of that hour, go for it. But it's like creating that distance. You're allowed to buy things. You're allowed to do things that bring you joy, but create that distance to make sure that's what you actually are doing. And that's what you actually want to be doing. That is such a good point. And I love that you mentioned the coping mechanisms. That is even something that I've noticed in my own life is historically, whenever I feel like insecure about myself, like, Oh my God, I'm not cute enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not blah, blah, blah enough. My immediate reaction is like, I need to shop. Yeah. And I never do. Like I recognize it now and I'm like, all right, do, is that going to make my life better really by buying a new shirt? Probably not. Right. Right. But it's that initial reaction to, I want to control something and yeah. my appearance is something I can control. So mm-hmm. it's really deep. And sometimes when you, when you start to get into money, you don't realize it's going to uncover all of this crap that we're dealing with. And you're like, what? Didn't even realize yeah. that was the thing, but it's, it's yeah. pretty serious stuff sometimes. It really is. And it's just one of those things where it does take that level of self-awareness and it takes that level of pause of like yeah. mindfulness, which mindfulness is hard on its own. And so, it, oh, but totally. sometimes it's just taking that simple pause. And like, to me, I like, I guess I like replacing mindfulness with pausing because to me, that's what it is. It's pausing to reflect on that moment. And am I just running on autopilot and doing this just because it's something that I always do? Or like, am I choosing to do this? Am I making a conscious decision to do whatever activity I am going to do? But it is tough. And it's also like with self-care in the United States and probably everywhere anymore, it's like, it's, it's capitalized. Like it's, it's all, it's go buy this thing. Like, Oh, you've been working too hard. Then well, go book a sauna day, go treat yourself to some bubbly, go do all of these things. And it's like, that's not solving any of the actual issues. So it's, we we've bought into this culture of self-care. That's not real self-care it's self-numbing. And so this constant message that nah, you don't really need to solve the problem. You just need to cover the problem up with expensive things. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, what I realized with my therapist was usually these things are making it worse. They're not actually addressing it. You're just putting you know, a bandaid on whatever the issue is. And at the end of the day, the wound is still there. So it's, it's pretty serious. I I agree. I think it's one of those things where if you do have a good therapist, it's helpful to talk through this stuff and just say, Hey, Mm -hmm. I I don't understand why I'm doing this. Maybe you can help me just talk through it and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a good therapist, I think that pause, I like that you said mindfulness is pausing. That's really a good indicator of, okay, let's just like slow down and think about this Mm -hmm. for you. Now you are running your business full-time, which congrats. Thank you. And you're trying to grow a business. You're trying to manage a lot of different pieces. Now, how are you navigating self-care in the form of burnout, like burnout prevention specifically? Yeah. So in preparation for this, I spent a lot of time with the particular therapist I was talking about earlier who focused on DBT, where I was like, I'm doing pretty okay mentally, but I know I need to handle stress better. Like Mm -hmm. I know I need ways to do that. So kind of in preparation for this, I was working with him and I was also working with, this is so random, a pelvic floor therapist. Now, yes. And it was life-changing. 
My issue was, this is probably TMI, apologies to everybody listening. (laughs) One of my issues this year that I was trying to solve was my sleep issues. And one of the things that my holistic doctor recognized was I get up and I pee a million times in a night. Mm -hmm. So they were like, what is going on? You've never had kids. There's no reason for you Mm -hmm. to like have a tiny bladder or whatever. So they're like, all right, we need to get you into a pelvic floor therapist. Well, my pelvic floor therapist was absolutely incredible, but your everything in your body is connected. So when you are stressed, when you're and like, we often think of stress as like our shoulders up to our ears, but like women, especially we hold in our stomachs. And when we hold in our stomachs, that pulls on our pelvic floor and that causes things like having to go to the restroom all of the time. And so what? it's crazy. Uh, all the random things I know, things I've done to myself. I love this. This uh, is incredible. It was super, it was an amazing experience. Super painful. I will say, because mm. you're basically undoing all of the stress that you put on your pelvic floor mm. and it causes like, you've got to do a lot of manual manipulation massage. And like, uh, she did dry needling as well, but there was also this huge mindfulness piece. So like one of the things that I had to do was start being doing body scans and recognizing every time that I was tensing up anywhere to literally just breathe in and allow my body to relax. And the thing that my therapist kept saying, my actual, my pelvic floor therapist was like, we don't have to feel the stress. Life is going to be stressful. We get to choose whether or not it stresses ourselves out. And I felt that in a very literal way of, am I holding on to this stress in my body? And it was like, prior to doing all of this work, yes, absolutely. All the time. And like, even my chronic pain and things like that, it was all coming from stress. And so working with her to literally figure out how to release stress in my body was incredibly powerful because at the same time was also working with a therapist to identify, okay, how do I release the stress in my brain? How do I let, how do I prevent this from starting before it even happens? And so that's really what I do now is I really pay attention to it's my body's going to tell me before my brain tells me, because one of the things I'd say all the time is like, I don't feel stressed. I just like, I just know I am stressed as like mentally I'm fine, but like I can feel it in my body because my chest is tight or I'm having trouble breathing or things like that. And so now I really try to pay attention to like what's going on in my body because that's going to tell me long before I start to feel stressed, it's going to tell me you're getting stressed. And so like doing the body scans, trying to prevent it before it happens. So like, for example, the last two weeks have been totally crazy. I've had so many clients. I'm working on a course. I'm studying for my CFP. Like it has just been a wild, wild ride. And what I've had to do is take care of myself. It's like the, in the simplest way I've had to realize like, okay, drinking every weekend is not really helping me in any way. It's like, yes, it's a quick and easy fix to having a stressful week and like literally changing how I feel. But generally it's like, all right, can we mitigate this? Can we cut back so that like, I don't lose a night's sleep? Cause every time I drink my sleep just gets totally Same. thrown off. It's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. And like, I love drinking. Like that's not, I'm not sober or anything like that, but it's like, okay, what am I willing to give here? What am I willing to cut back on in order to, you know, create a better life for myself where I am getting, you know, seven, eight hours of sleep a night and feel fully present and capable of actually doing the things that I need to do. So it's taking care of myself on a very basic level of like sleeping, eating right, getting exercise and prioritizing those basic, basic things helps so much. And then the rest of the stuff is, you know, trying to 
make time for myself. My biggest thing is I'm always going to overbook myself. So even just making sure I have one night a week to make sure I have nothing scheduled, that's been huge for me. And like, I don't think I could survive without that one night a week because it just, it, it makes me explode. And granted, I'm not always good at doing it. And I certainly have had weeks where I don't get that in. Um, but knowing like knowing what I need has been a really big game changer. So it's like, I need a night to myself. I need to exercise. I need to sleep. I need to stop drinking at least, you know, during the week and maybe only keep it on like one night a week, Friday Uh, only man. (laughs) Yeah. It really is Friday only for me anymore. And it's um, because if I do, it's, it's going to mess up my whole, whole week. I like that you did all this prep work before you officially went full-time in your business, Mm -hmm. because I see so many people like so many people, meaning me, um, when I, when I first went full-time into my business, I did what I thought was normal and what the message was, which is like, you better be hustling. You got to work 80 hours. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Work 80 hours. So you don't have to work 40 for somebody else. And I was like, Oh damn. Okay. I got this. Mm -hmm. And I probably spiraled in a weird way. And then as a coach, coaching is very exhausting. It, Mm -hmm sucks your energy. I love it, but it is an energy drainer. And so you really do have to guard that time. So I'm glad to hear that you're giving yourself at least one night off per week. Yeah. I'm not good at it all the time, but you know, after those first two weeks of having like 17 clients each week, I was like, this isn't going to work. This is not going to, I didn't even have a voice at the end of the week. And so, (laughs) so I was like, okay, I had to give myself permission because of the same thing you're talking about of like this hustle culture Mm -hmm. that makes us feel like we're not successful unless we are grinding all of the time and growing all of the time. You are also a person. And it's like, there's no point in doing this if you aren't enjoying the process too. So for me, I had to give myself permission and realize I don't have to work and take clients till 9 p.m. every single night. In fact, I'm only going to take clients till 8 p.m. two nights a week. Rest of the nights, I'm only going to take until six o'clock. I'm going to cut it off at six o'clock. And like, I'm not going to do weekends. I'll do weekends by special request only. But like, I had to give myself permission to really limit the hours of my availability. And now I did that and I'm sold out till January. So I'm like, no, that's great. It worked out, but it's like, okay, it was so good that I did that. And then the result ended up being you're sold out until January because it was so affirming that this is the right thing for you to be doing. We need those too, especially when you, it feels like you're burning your business down when you do that. You're like, Oh my God, now I'm going to go bankrupt. I got to go back and get a job. This is right. But it is so freeing. And I'm really, Uh really glad to hear that. One of the things that I did last year was I said, I don't want to work on Fridays. Like I really don't. So I'll work half days on Fridays if I choose, but yeah. I don't have to. Oh my God. Yeah. That was great. I did the same thing. So I, uh, I try to take as I still haven't perfected it yet, but I am trying to take off Fridays. So like yeah. most of December, I think I have every Friday off. Um, and that's, yeah, that's it, it is. Cause it's like, those are my work days. It's like nice to get everything in on those days. And again, another thing too, is for a while, when I had my full-time job, I was working five days a week and taking clients on Saturdays and Sundays. Yep, I was totally. like, what am I doing? I was like, I'm going to burn out. I'm going to like, I can't, I cannot function anymore. And so listening to that and giving yourself permission not to, and like having great mentors and friends in the space really helps. Like Delianne and I are very good friends. And so her, 
her having gone through this and having been the person who did coaching and transferred over to a course, if any time I'm like, what do I do about this situation? Like, I remember we were on our way back from FinCon and on the same day that I was supposed to arrive on my plane, which you know how FinCon is, we were drinking till like 2 a.m. every single night. And I like, by the end of it, I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to (laughs) die. I don't think I can handle this anymore. (laughs) I think think this will be the death of me, but at least I'll die happy. Um, (laughs) But anyway, we were on our way home and like, uh, we were heading to the airport and I go, guys, I have a client tonight at seven. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I don't think I can do it. I was like, I feel like my brain is mush. And Delian's like, I'm going to tell you something I wish somebody had told me long time ago. It is okay for you to cancel. You are allowed to cancel and reschedule. If they get mad or upset, they're not the right client for you. It's so true. I was like, so true. Done doing it. I have to do this for myself. I know. It's so funny how coaches do that to themselves, where they put themselves on this like superhero pedestal. Where I mean, I remember this is my aha moment too as a coach. I was on a road trip with my mom and we were coming back from the Oregon coast. I live in Idaho. Yeah. And I was like, all right, we got, you know, we're on the road and I'm looking at my calendar. I'm like, oh, I have two calls uh, this time and this time. So if we could just like find a rest stop or something. And I cannot even tell you, I was so stressed out the entire time. I'm like, what if I don't have Wi-Fi? Oh my God. And that's when I was like, enough, like no more yeah. weekends. This is ridiculous. <laughs> no, you gotta enjoy it. And I think it's, I think the issue with us is that we love what we do. So it's oh, yeah. like, we want to say yes to all of the things. Every request I get, I usually want to say yes, but like we have to learn what can we actually say yes to realistically speaking? <laughs> yep. Got to guard that energy. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I love this conversation because I think it's so impactful for everybody. We all deal with mental health issues at some time in our life and yours might be great right now, but it's not always. And so I, I love that this is a resource people can continue going back to. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to share so openly about your experiences. Of course. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the people who are listening and if you are struggling, it's like, it's okay. Like we all struggle. We literally, it happens all of the time. It is normal for people to struggle. And I think that, I think a lot of people, the barrier to getting the help that they need is thinking that like somehow they're weaker because they're struggling. And it's like, no, that is hustle, hustle and capitalism culture telling you that it's okay to struggle. Like it's pretty normal, especially when we've been spending how many, how many months have we been in a panorama? <laughs> I know it's insane. I can't believe we're still in this. It, so. it is insane. Yeah. <laughs> we truly, I think it's give yourself really. a lot of grace. Like we've all gone through a lot collectively. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So aside from your website, which will be linked in the show notes, TikTok, Instagram, pimp yourself out. Where do people go to hang out? Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram and TikTok and you can find me there at Clobear Money Coach. Bear is spelled B-A-R-E. But yeah, I post, I am addicted to Instagram. It's one of my growth edges that I need to stop being on Instagram so much. So <laughs> you can certainly find me there. And, uh, TikTok is my second biggest platform. I dig it. My friend, before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Heck yes. Let's do it. All okay. Right. Let's pretend it's everything's opened up in the world. We're post COVID. The world is back to whatever normal looks like. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Uh, so my initial thought is I want to go to Berlin because my best friend is there and I haven't seen her since 2019. So it's like, Oh my God, I want to go there so bad. But 
not like besides that from the non-sentimental, I am, I have been dying to go to Bali. So I'm very excited to be going to Bali in June. Woohoo! I'm excited to see your, your trip too. I have not been there yet either. I'm very pumped. I haven't been to Southeast Asia in a while, so it'll be nice to go at least. I don't know if Bali's considered Southeast Asia now that I say that. I have no idea. I always thought That's, it was, but maybe yeah, not. Yeah, I might sound really stupid, but well, you're <laughs> in, in my head then. <laughs> I looped it in there. So guys, we are money coaches. We are not geography coaches. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we're not the travel coaches. Okay. Nope. Nope. No, no, no That's we're not. awesome. <laughs> okay. Next question for you. I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines. So what is your current morning routine? Oh my God. Calling it a routine would be way too nice. Uh, I am what's one of another thing that I like, feel like I need to work on. Cause I'd love to be like that person who really has a real routine, but really I, my routine is I wake up in the morning, I press snooze every single day and I take Logan outside, come back in, I make my smoothie and my coffee, and then I'll sit on the computer doing whatnot. Usually the first thing I do is I create an Instagram post. So I am still on the hamster wheel of, I create my post every single day. Uh, I would like to get to the point where I have an actual content calendar, but, um, that's generally my morning routine. I feel that I totally, again, feel that. I feel like it's generous calling it a routine. <laughs> I, I do every day, but it's not like a polished thing that I'm proud of. <laughs> I understand that. What is one book that you find yourself gifting most often? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, the one that I have been recommending over and over again uh, is stamped from the beginning. It's um, by Abraham Kendi, I believe is his name. It is focused on the true history of the United States, specifically focused on racism in our country. It is mind-blowing. You read it and you get the alternative view and it's just truly incredible what we were taught in our schools versus what reality was on so many different levels. So that's one, you know, I'm very, very much big into racial justice in our country. And that one is anytime somebody is like, man, I'd like to learn more about this, or I don't know anything about that. That's the book I go to. That's a good recommendation. I'll add that to my, my list for this month too. Thank you for that. Totally not related to money, but <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot more than money in the world, which right. is like, ironically, my last question is for you, in your opinion, what's the secret to financial success? Who the secret to financial success to me, um, this is going to be so lame, but it's, it's cause it's such a cliche, but it's a cliche cause it's true. And the secret is living on less than what you make. Like that is, it's not an exciting secret, but if you can't master that financial independence just is not going to happen because in order for you to be able to reach financial independence, you have to be able to live on less than what you make. And the bigger the gap, the more quickly you're going to be able to achieve financial independence, the more flexibility you're going to have, the more freedom you're going to have. So like to me, that is, and I never really understood what that meant until I got to a place where I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm investing 30, 40, 50% of my income. And it's like, at least starting with like living on 90% of your income is a great place to start, but you're not going to reach those goals unless you do that. Mm, I love it. Chloe, you are such a rock star. Thank you again for your time and for hanging out. It's always good to catch up with you. Thank you. Yes. It's so good talking to you too. Thanks for having me.
All right. What'd you think? If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave a five-star review on whatever podcast player you're listening to. It helps me get this show in front of even more people and attract really cool guests like Chloe. So if you've ever wondered like, how the heck do I get these really amazing guests? Reviews are a really big piece of it. It truly does make a big difference. And it's one of the greatest compliments you can give to a podcaster. All right. Enough of that. I ain't too proud to beg moment, but seriously, do leave a review if you haven't already. That is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I love you and hope you're having a great week and I will see you on Friday for five tip Friday or next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.